You are listening to the podcast of the Gallery Church. Our desire is to display the goodness of God's grace and love to New York City. For more information about our church, please visit us on the web at gallerychurch.com. Luke chapter 3, 15 through 18. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Turn with me to John chapter 16, five to 11. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, gallery family. Good morning, every one of you that are gathered in your homes to all the house churches uh, throughout New York City. Grace and peace to you. For those of you that are not in a house church right now, but are sitting in your home, connected still to the body of Christ, grace and peace uh, to you also. It is a joy for me to be with you all, to, to see, to connect, to pray, to worship, uh, 
with you as we seek God together as a community. I'm excited that next week we have the ability of getting together in person uh, and still, of course, streaming it uh, on Zoom for those that are not able to make it, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I also pray that you guys are connecting with our Lenten devotional every day, a reminder for us to pause and to listen to the Holy Spirit. We started a series a few weeks ago, seven, eight weeks ago, taking a look at this third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, for many of us, depending on our background, either has been relegated to uh, 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 the third cousin of Jesus on his mama's side, someone that we don't know, we know exists, but don't fully comprehend or understand. Or for some of you like me, the Holy Spirit has been relegated to this brute force, this sheer power, this it that can give you what you need, this, 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 the strength you need, but it's, it's just that, a sheer force, a brute power. And the more we open up scripture, the more we read it, the more we realize that the Holy Spirit is God, that right now here on earth, he is functioning and working in our midst. That right now, presently, Jesus Christ resurrected is not living physically with us, that he is at the right hand of the Father. But if you remember, the ministry of Jesus is continuing now on earth through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person in the Godhead that is active and presently working in your life, in my life, in the church, and in this world. So a few weeks ago, we asked, who is the Holy Spirit? And we took a, a, a 10,000 foot view, a two mile some odd view of this Holy Spirit, taking a big picture look at his functions and his work. And a few weeks ago, we said, if that's who he is, how does the Holy Spirit relate to us? What is he seeking and desiring to do in and through us, in and through you right now? And so four weeks ago, we started taking a look at the manifestations, these metaphors, these pictures, these likenesses that the Holy Spirit will reveal himself to us in through scripture, these different manifestations and how he would reveal himself so that not only would we understand him better, but we would see how he chooses to work in our lives. And so we started taking a look at the Holy Spirit as breath, and then we continue taking a look at the Holy Spirit as voice. Last week, we saw the Holy Spirit as a dove. And this morning, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit as fire. I want to remind you guys this morning that as we look at these manifestations, these metaphors, these pictures, that every one of these pictures have their earthly limits, but God does not. Every one of these earthly pictures or manifestations has limits and ways that might not fully translate into understanding the greatness, the grandeur, the glory, the majesty of God himself, which is why we established the foundation of who the Holy Spirit is. So if you've not heard the first three weeks, I would encourage you to go back and take a listen. And of course, every week we've been challenging ourselves we've been challenging ourselves to pause and listen to him. We've not been giving you a new task every week, but every week we've been encouraging you gallery 
to sit where you are when you wake up in the morning and listen to him. Be open to his work and move in your life to surrender to him. And so this morning we take a look at the Holy Spirit, God who reveals himself as fire, as fire. Now fire in general has these two uh, polar hooks. On one side, fire is very warming. And on the other side, fire is quite destructive. On one side, fire can give you this picture of tranquility and calm sitting by the fire. But on the other side, you see fire as sheer power, brute force, a destruction that, can, uh, that is very hard to contain. And yet in the Bible, we see God revealing himself as fire. If you've been a Christian long enough and you've uh, listened to enough Christian songs, the running joke is that if you want to write a Christian worship song, uh, it's not a Christian worship song unless you include some aspect of fire in the song. You've got to be burning something, your soul or your, your sins or your life. And so, you know, it, it, if you've been in church long enough, you know that the symbol, this, this picture of fire has, has been a picture we see in scripture, in the songs we sing, in, in the texts we read. But Fundamentally speaking, when you look at the Bible, you see a God who reveals himself through this picture of fire. I love what, how, how God is described in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 29. It says, our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. When John on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation has a vision of Jesus. He sees the glory of Jesus and he says his eyes are like fire. That when God chooses to reveal himself in the Old and New Testament text, we see that he reveals himself as fire. He reveals that he is present that he is active, that he is working, that he is moving in the lives of his children as fire. If you don't believe me, take a, take a look at the Old Testament. Walk with me for just a few minutes when God is wanting to reveal himself to Moses. Moses is on the mountaintop. And what does he experience? We see that Moses in Exodus 3 experiences God as a burning bush. God reveals himself by lighting a bush on fire. And the mystery was the bush was not being consumed by the fire. It was still shining brightly. And when Moses walks into the presence of God who reveals himself as fire, this burning bush, Moses experiences the holiness of God. Scripture says that he removes his shoes because he recognized as God uttered with his mouth, this is holy ground. That in the presence of that fire, Moses not only experienced God's holiness, but he experienced God's power and God's commissioning in his life. There was a realization for Moses at that moment, God is with me. It doesn't just stop there in the Hebrew scriptures. We see as God is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, we see as they're about to go in front of the Red Sea and before this, the water is parted, that God shows up to them as a pillar of fire. 
He stands with them as they are facing an impossible trial before them. The Red Sea stands before them and the armies of Egypt come behind them and God shows up as fire, letting them know I am with you. And it's not just there, but all through the desert. He becomes a shade for them in the morning, but in the evening, he is the fire that leads them through the desert. Not only is it in the book of Exodus as Israel is walking through the desert, but we see that when they establish this tabernacle, this temporary house of God, where they can meet with God and offer sacrifices to God as atonement for their sins, we see in the book of Numbers chapter 14, chapter 9, verses 14 to 16, that when the Shekinah glory of God comes down, when the presence of God comes down on this tabernacle, where they want to meet with God, he comes like a fire. Not only does he meet with them like a fire, but when they offer sacrifices to the Lord, in Leviticus 9 and Judges 13, all through the Old Testament, God consumes the sacrifices they offer by coming down in a form of fire, showing them that he takes pleasure in their sacrifice, that he accepts their offering. Why am I sharing all that with you? Because all through the Hebrew text, all through the Old Testament, fire represents the presence of God. It represents God was present. But not only that God is present, but it represents all that he is. His holiness, his righteousness, his directional, empowering, loving, and guiding presence. The fire of God represents him. And so you can imagine the children of Israel and all through the Hebrew text, seeing that the presence of God coming down as fire, symbolic of his holiness, his righteousness, his power, his glory, his majesty. You can imagine the Hebrew people seeing that God's presence coming down on Sinai and they're terrified that they send Moses. God's presence coming on a bush, God's presence coming on a tabernacle, God's presence fire coming down on a temple. You can imagine the shiver that went down the spine of the hearers of the words of John the Baptist that Annette read for us, the, the gospel of Luke. When John utters these words, I baptize you with water, he says, but there is one coming who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Hmm. That word baptize, baptizo, means to violently submerge. So let's use it in a sentence. The Titanic was baptized. When John is speaking to a Jewish audience at this moment, and he's saying, you are wowed by the water, there is one coming who will baptize you in the spirit, who will submerge you in fire. Who will baptize you in fire. The shiver that would have gone down the spine of the hearers of those words. God's presence would engulf us. 
not just a bush, not just a tabernacle, not just as a random pillar outside uh, in the middle of the desert, not just offerings, but the presence of God, the holiness of God, the power of God would engulf us. Is this real? They had no way of understanding what John meant. But we saw what actually happened. I want you to see this picture. If you would permit me to open up my whiteboard very quickly. John utters these words to his hearers. They have no idea what is happening. But we come to the book of Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. And you have 120 people gathered in the upper room. They're gathered in a room praying and worshiping God. And God uttered these words to them. In the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Again, they had no idea what that fully meant, but 120 people gathered in the upper room, praying to the Lord, waiting for this promised Holy Spirit. And what happens? On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit shows up. It comes in like a wind. And scripture tells us, that he shows up as tongues of fire resting on each person. He doesn't engulf the room like the tabernacle or the temple. He doesn't engulf the city or a region like Sinai. He doesn't even show up independently just in the midst of them. But scripture says each of them are engulfed in the fire of God. Each of them became burning bushes. Each of them became Mount Sinai's. Each of them became temples and tabernacles. Each of them became living sacrifices. That's why Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, you are the temple of the living God. So I want you to see this gallery. Walk with me just for a moment. In the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, the presence of God engulfs these different places and regions and sacrifices. But on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes upon each person all of God, his presence, his holiness, his righteousness, his direction, his power engulfs every person. And God looks at them and says, you are my burning bushes. You are my living sacrifices. You are my temples and tabernacles. You are where my presence dwells. Pause, sidebar. 
Every other worldview demands that you work your way to God through good works and good acts of righteousness. How well did you live as a godly person today is the question. Did you follow all the rules and the commands? Because if you didn't, God wants nothing to do with you. But on the day of Pentecost, with the Spirit of God didn't wait for us to go up, but he came down and engulfed us. The holiness that Moses experienced in Sinai, the Shekinah that was evident in the temple, the pleasure of God accepting the sacrifices now rests on us and in us. It was God's way of telling the disciples, my presence is with you always. I'm not leaving. I'm not going away. I am committed to doing a work in you. You are not alone. And when you see this is what happens to every believer that follows Jesus, that the Spirit of God engulfs you at the moment of salvation, that at salvation, God doesn't put his toe in you, but he invades you, he floods you, he comes upon you with his presence. When you see that, it changes, it transforms us. Because you see, we are told by the world around us that change is from within you. You bring about the change for you. And that's why the top 10 books in any bookstore, in any list, is about how you can make yourself a better you. Look within yourself. And if anything is going on wrong with your life, then it's because others don't fully understand you but on the day of Pentecost, God shows up and says, change is not from within you, it's from outside of you. It comes from above. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where comes my help? It comes from the maker of heaven and the earth. This is not the gospel of pick yourselves up by the bootstrap. This is the gospel of lift your hands to the one who engulfs you and says, I lift you up out of my clay. I establish you on solid rock and I put a song in your mouth so you could sing praises to this God. The day of Pentecost was God's way of saying, I'm here and I choose to reside and live in you. But just because this happens at salvation doesn't mean it's a one and done deal. You see the invitation all through scripture all through scripture is this, continue to walk in the spirit. Continue to be filled in the spirit. In other words, it's not a one and done, fill your car up with gas and just drive unlimited. No, it's the spirit is at work in you. But are you yielding to him? Are you surrendering? Because there are things, hear me gallery, that are attempting to snuff out the flame of God in your life. 
that is trying to distract you from seeing God's good work in you, I am convinced that one of those things is Netflix's ability to continue a new episode even before the credits are done rolling in one episode. Like there are, I don't care what you tell me, it, 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 is, it, is, it is from the devil. Before you know it, you're sitting there three hours into it, totally zonked out at 2 a.m. And, and, and that feature to skip intro, golly, I'm telling you, ain't from the Lord. Like there are things right now, gallery, that seek to snuff out, push out God's good work in you. But the truth is, there is no devil in hell that can, quen- that can fully snuff out God's fire in you. That he is constantly moving, but he's asking you, are you closing your eyes and ears to what I am seeking to do in you? My presence is upon you. We learned last week that we could quench it. That we could ignore it. That we could try to silence the voice of God as he's trying to speak and move in us. But he wants to remind you today, my presence is with you. So what does that look like? For the presence of God to be with us, I think it means three specific things for the fire of God to be in our life. I think the first thing it means that the fire of the Holy Spirit is there to convict us. What does the work of the Spirit look like in our lives The first thing I think it has looked like, and this is not an exhaustive look at the fire of God's spirit, but just three very quick things. It's there to convict us. The second text that Annette read for us so beautifully from the words of Jesus Christ, as he is about to endure the shame and the pain of the cross, he says, I am sending you the helper. But he says, you're going to be better off that I leave because now you have the helper. He calls the Holy Spirit the helper, the advocate, the comforter. The spirit of God that is with you is there to help you, is there to comfort you, is there to advocate for you. And how does he do it? He comes for you will know he comes because he will convict the world concerning sin. His conviction is that of sin. I love Kierkegaard's definition of sin. Sin is when we make something other than God our God. Sin is when we reject who God is, but we fill the void of God with some other God, when we make a good thing a God thing. We all have those, don't we? Where something or someone consumes our attention, takes up every post that we put up, takes up every, uh, every tweet, every Instagram post, something or someone consumes us that it causes great anxiety and fear, Kierkegaard will say, that's an idol. It's the work of the enemy to steal you from seeing God's good work in you. Something or someone 
consumes our focus, our energy. Remember three weeks ago, 105,000 words. We are listening to 500 pages of words a day. Whose words are we listening to? Something or someone is governing and controlling us. And the Holy Spirit comes in and he convicts us. Just like Moses in front of the burning bush, just like Israel at Sinai, just like all of the tribes in front of the temple, the Spirit of God comes and brings conviction by revealing to us God's holiness and God's perfection. The Spirit of God reveals to us how perfect and holy and righteous is. You might not see it, but he's called Holy Spirit for a reason. He is holy. And the conviction that comes, Jesus says in John 16, he will convict you by reminding you everything I've taught you. He's going to convict you of the things that you have made into God, things that should just be good things. Areas in your life where you are living in disobedience to this holy and perfect God. Where this God seeks to invite you to say, stop drinking syrup after running a marathon. Stop running after things that are leaving you discontented and anguished and full of depression or full of anxiety or full of frustration. He invites you saying, there is more. He invites you. I'm reminded in Luke chapter five, remember when Jesus and Peter are on the boat and Jesus says, Peter, cast out your net. And Peter's like, Jesus, we've been working all night. We caught nothing. Jesus is like, Peter, just do what I say. And Peter throws out the net and he cast it out. And when he pulls it back in, there's so much fish that the boat starts to sink. And what is Peter's response? He says, get away from me. I am not worthy for I am a sinner. You see, when we experience God's holiness, we do see our depravity. We see where we fail. We see where we fall. We see where we need God. But what I love about the Spirit is that the Spirit doesn't show our depravity to destroy, but He shows our depravity so He can bring healing. He doesn't cut to bleed. He cuts like a surgeon so He can remove the cancer that is destroying us. He's not a a, a thug trying to mug you by cutting you. He's a surgeon with a precision scalpel trying to remove the cancer so he could heal you. I want to remind you again, as we spoke about a few weeks ago, when we talk about conviction, this is not the Holy Spirit being your conscience. The Holy Spirit is not our conscience. Every human is born with a conscience. That's what makes us different than the rest of the animal world. We're born with the ability of seeing between good and evil, but our conscience can be moved and manipulated by our environment. It can be changed by our upbringing. It can be changed by the different voices that speak into us. All to say, to have a clear conscience doesn't necessarily mean you and I are walking in step with the Spirit, but the Spirit can speak into our conscience. He can convict us 
by speaking into our conscience. He can convict us by speaking through scripture. He can convict us by speaking through a sermon. He can convict us by speaking through a psalm or a song. He can convict us even through community. And take a time to listen to the Holy Spirit as voice to see how he can convict and speak to us. But the Spirit of God exists to convict us. Number two, the Holy Spirit as fire doesn't just convict us, but the Holy Spirit as fire refines us. Remember what I said, he doesn't just cut, but he cuts to change. He cuts to heal. The Spirit's fire in and on you is there to change and transform you. When you get time, I want you to look at these scriptures and see the Spirit at work in us. But I'm going to read a few of them for you right now. Psalm 66, verses 10 to 12. For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. Isaiah 48, you have tested us with the furnace of affliction. First Peter 1, 6 to 7, rejoice though you have faced trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise, in glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Translation, just like gold and silver is refined in fire so that its purest form is revealed, the spirit of God's fire not only convicts you of sin, but it refines you. Why? So that your purest form form might be revealed. And what is your purest form? Resembling the God who called you by name. Christian, you and I are not at our purest form. For so long, we look at Christianity as something that is trying to keep us from a previous life. And so for many of us see Christianity as this killjoy faith, how Christianity's goal is to keep me from doing X, Y, and Z. And so that's what it means to be a Christian. Just don't do X. Oh, Christian, brother, sister, Christianity does not exist to keep you from not living that previous life. No, Christianity is an invitation by Jesus so that you can live life and life abundantly. It is not, don't live that life. It is actually an invitation to true life, to live as you and I were called, to flourish in the abundance and the beauty of Jesus Christ to see his glory shine through us. If you want a picture of Christianity, look at the gospels. Look at the gospels. The joy that Jesus brought to every situation. The hope and the purpose he brought to every environment. I'm refining you, he says, so that the real you may be seen. And what is the real you? Reflecting the God who's called you to be his. And how can he refine you? We read it in the text. He can refine you with challenges in your life. 
through afflictions, through trials. He can challenge you. You might be facing a doubt or a question. He's saying, I'm using that to refine you. Don't run from them. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Christianity isn't about God just pulling you out of it. In the valley, he says, you will be okay because I am with you. I am refining you through every circumstance, through your afflictions, through your trials. I'm refining you so that you may know that I'm not keeping you from a life, but I'm here to give you the life the fullness of that life. He refines you as the fire, but finally the Holy Spirit as fire gives us power to live as followers of Jesus. He gives us power. Acts chapter one, verse eight, you will receive power. Those are the words of Jesus. The Greek word there is dunamis, which literally, if you hear the word, if you listen to it, you hear the word dynamite. And this is what Jesus is saying, that when my spirit comes upon you, there will be a dynamic explosion in your soul. That when the spirit of God comes, when he moves, not just at salvation, but when you walk in step with the Spirit, when you find yourself in situations that you don't know how to make it through, when you face afflictions and trials, he says, my Spirit comes like power. And what does that power look like? I still remember sitting with a group of friends, Labor Day weekend, praying together, seeking the face of God, pleading with him to show up. And as we were seeking and praying and calling on God, I remember it as if it was yesterday. This is about 20 some odd years ago. I remember sitting in that room and as if this, someone took a, 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 an imaginary plug and plugged me into an outlet and there was just this power that fell upon me. I remember leaping on my feet and just praising God uncontrollably. I could not stop praising him. I began to shout as loud as I could, praises to this God. Power. But it wasn't just like that. There are moments when I find myself opening up the Bible. And as I call on God, just being broken to my knee and weeping, experiencing his presence at that moment, power. Not just the weeping, but moments where I'll be sitting full of anxiety and I can sense his still presence right with me, power. But I might also add one more thing. There are moments when I feel nothing. And he reminds me that I'm here to stay. I'm not going anywhere. That's his power too. That's his power too. I'm not here to prescribe you three ways to experience the power. But I'm here to say his strength is there in our weakness. 
his grace is sufficient when we see the thorns in our flesh. What does his power, how does it translate in the way we live? If you get a time, read the book of Acts. His power looks like Acts 2, Peter, full of the spirit, going out and preaching the gospel to those that had no idea who Jesus was, inviting them to know Jesus That's what power looked like in Acts 2. Power in Acts 3 looked like Peter and John going to the gate of beautiful, laying hands on the sick and praying that God would heal them. That's how power translated into their life. What did it look like in Acts 4? Power looked like when they were facing persecution and trial. Power looked like receiving the strength to pray and call on God when the odds were not in their favor. Power looked like getting the strength to pray in the midst of persecution. What did God's fire power look like in their life? It looked like Acts chapter 5 when when Ananias and Sapphira were holding on to their wealth and lying power looked like the church being able to give up their wealth and live in honesty and vulnerability so that their brothers and sisters might flourish. What does power, the fire of God look like? It looks like Acts chapter 6. God's power coming upon them to serve from the basics of being in a soup kitchen to the preaching of the word of God, even the smallest to the greatest task in the church, the power gave them the ability to serve the living God. What does power look like in Acts chapter 8? It looked like bringing racial and ethnic reconciliation and living out the gospel in the way we speak and love others. When you get a moment, read the book of Acts. That's what the fire and the power of God looks like in and through us. All of this because the Holy Spirit lives in us. He is not a power, a brute force. He is not the third cousin. He is God, fully God. Someone we can love, someone we can learn from, someone we can grow with someone we're in relationship with. Not in one and done phenomenon, but in every day of my life, lover of my soul, relationship. This is our call to action gallery. And this is our call to action. As you see these different manifestations, that your vision of the spirit would be stretched. And that he would wow you again this morning. We offered you a a, a phone thing, didn't we? Um, A phone screensaver. A simple reminder every day. Holy Spirit, speak to me. And every week we gave you a new one where when you wake up in the morning and you touch your phone about to start your day to pause and to sit right by your bed on the floor, kneeling, standing, whatever your posture is, and to take the first four minutes to quiet every other voice and to ask the Holy Spirit to speak, whatever he speaks. 
You might think it's bizarre or crazy, but to trust that is the Lord speaking and to bring it right back up to him, to trust it back to him. I would encourage you this week, as you ask the Holy Spirit to speak, ask him. Fire of the Spirit, convict me where I've made good things, God things. Convict me where I'm living in disobedience to your word, where I'm living in gossip or drunkenness, sexual immorality, where I'm living in in greed or envy. Convict me. Refine me. Fill me with your power again. May we surrender to this spirit once again. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now. We ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would remind us that we need you, we trust you, we love you. Help us by the power of your Spirit to yield and surrender to your your beauty, to your holiness, to your spirit, to your fire at work in us. Remind us that we are your temples. You live in us right now. You live in us right now, working in us this moment. So change us. Change us, oh God. We surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you are encouraged in your walk with God through this podcast. For more information about this church, please visit our website at gallerychurch.com.